Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 19. Welcome back. Before we begin, you can follow me on Twitter, at Cunning of Geist, and on my Facebook page, also, at Cunning of Geist. To begin, uh, let's um, start with a short quote from Hegel. In paragraph 95 of his Encyclopedia of Philosophical Sciences, Hegel calls true infinity the chief maxim of philosophy. So Hegel essentially believes true infinity to be the one basic truth of of philosophy. And as such, this is obviously something we should be paying careful attention to. And we did a whole previous episode on true infinity in episode four, However, that was more of a review of how Hegel actually reached the notion. It was called the road to true infinity and how he gets there at the beginning of the science of of logic. In this episode, however, I'm going to talk more about the importance of this concept and what it means to each and every one of us. That it is actually quite an extraordinary concept, and in fact, one could even look at at it as miraculous. Miraculous? Okay, why miraculous? That sounds quasi-religious. You know, am I going off the deep end here? No, I'm not. Uh, A miracle is defined in the dictionary as follows. A surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws. The key here is the words not explicable by natural or scientific laws. This is exactly what true infinity is, and we will explain this in detail here in this episode. I'm going to be following um, the following outline in this episode. First, I will take a look at how the finite world, if standing alone, uh, the world of things, subatomic particles, that that's not the whole of being. Essentially, if you just look at it in isolation, taken by itself, it's not even real. It's not reality. I will then show how the traditional notion we have of infinity, how how that is faulty, and it's not actually true infinity. And in the next section, I will go into detail again on the concept of true infinity and what that really means. Then fourth, I will show how the finite and the true infinity um, must be taken together to understand what is real and what is actual. And then finally, I will discuss why this concept can be considered miraculous and then it goes beyond natural and scientific laws and what this means to us in, in everyday life. And when I say go be, goes beyond, it doesn't um, say that science and natural laws are wrong. Not at all. It, it, um, it's actually saying something much, much more. All right, let's begin. Hegel associates the finite alone as being non-real. So how do we know that? Well, he has an interesting description. This is from paragraph 94 of the Encyclopedia of Philosophical Sciences. I quote, We have, in point of fact, virtually expressed the truth, for the finite itself is the first negative. So he's calling the finite a negative. He's calling it a negation. And this is has a correspondence to Hegel's grand scheme we've discussed here, logic, nature, and spirit, where nature, the finite world, is the negation of logic, of pure rationality. And they're both sublated into the the world of spirit. Hegel also 
says in that paragraph that the physical world at large is, I quote, contingent, apparent, in and for itself a nullity. So what is important here is that the finite world, this negation, has no reality in itself. It's a it's a negation of something else. It's a nullity, as we've explained before. And um, there are also some interesting problems with, with viewing the finite world this way. Hegel describes this in various different ways, but let me try to explain it in my own words. The finite world runs into problems with um, things becoming an infinite regress. Let me explain this. The very notion of finite finitude is that there is something and there is something else um, other than the original something. There's a line of demarcation. This is what finite means. Let me explain by using our own body as an example. Your body is finite. You have height and width. Your skin is the demarcation line between you and the outside. There's a you and not you. However, you also exist in time. Uh, you had a beginning in time and you will have an end in time. So your body, as described, is finite in both space and time. But is this finite body real? Well, you might say, yeah, my body seems pretty real to me. How do we know that our bodies are real? Um, I thought of a, the movie A Star is Born, starring Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. And he's, he's up there playing a, a musical gig in front of a large audience. And he, he asks an important question to the, the uh, audience that's attending the concert. He says, are you a figment of my imagination or am I one of yours? That's a good question. Are we both imagining each other or is only one doing the imagining? I mean, I know I see the other out there, but, it, you know, who's imagining who? Um, and it gets worse. I imagine you, yet you may be imagining me imagining you. And uh, I may be imagining you imagining me imagining you. And on and on and on like a hall of mirrors. This is an infinite regress. You may say, well, I know that I'm real because I am acknowledged by another self. Now, however, this, when you bring that in, you're bringing in other minds. And... Um, uh, you can say, my mind knows I am real when acknowledged by another mind. And we discussed this a lot in episode 13 on the Hegelian master-slave dialectic. But once we get into minds, we're no longer talking about finite bodies. Why? Well, to start, there's no hard proof that there are other minds. It's an assumption, a metaphysical assumption. Um, so in order to get a reality of the physical world, we need to make some metaphysical assumptions. Um, let's let's cover them. First of all, we assume we're not imagining the whole thing as in a dream. We're not going to wake up someday and say, oh, that was just a dream. We also make the assumption that there are other minds to validate our own selfhood, even though we can't prove this. We also assume that we're not a brain in a vat somewhere, as in the movie The Matrix. Um, and we assume the continuity of things in time, that the world was not created five minutes ago with the appearance of age. So we we need to assume a metaphysical reality which underlies nature to make things real. Nature alone is not enough. Finite things alone are not enough. We need more. And uh, before we get into the notion of true infinity, let's talk about what's, what's wrong with the traditional notion of, of 
infinity, what, what Hegel calls false infinity. There's a problem with our traditional notion of an infinity. And as you all know, this is where you keep adding items to a set, ad infinitum. For example, whole numbers. You can always add one more number when counting. This is the traditional explanation for the concept of infinity. But Hegel calls this concept false. Um, he has a good description of true versus false infinity in paragraph 95 of the encyclopedia. Quote, we lay down a limit, then we pass it. Next, we have a limit once more, and so on forever. All this is but superficial alternation, which never leaves the region of the finite behind. To suppose that by stepping out and away into that infinity, we release ourselves from the finite is in truth but to seek the release, which comes by flight. But the man who flees is not yet free. In fleeing, he is still conditioned by that from which he flees." End quote. Hegel is saying here that this notion of infinity is false because it always keeps the finite as part of it. It never escapes it. Hegel continues from the same paragraph. Quote, if it be also said that the infinite is unattainable, the statement is true, but only because to the idea of infinity has been attached the circumstance of being simply and solely negative. With such empty and other world stuff, philosophy has nothing to do. What philosophy has to do with is always something concrete and in the highest sense present, end quote. Hegel is saying that this false infinity does not in fact exist. Um, the infinity of numbers does not exist. It is some otherworldly concept. Hegel only wants to deal with the concrete here and now. Let's return to the, the body example to make this clear. As we previously discussed, the, your body is both finite in terms of space and time. So how would one go about making it infinite? Well, here we get into the difference between true infinity and false infinity. False infinity would make the body grow larger and larger forever, becoming infinitely large. Or it would keep it alive forever for all eternity, for an infinite extension of time, or both. However, that's, that's a false notion, because in becoming infinite that way, it does not keep the finite body as something at all. It destroys the finite body. By having infinite extension in either space or time, the body is no longer a finite thing at all. By growing infinitely large or living forever, the body would become the same thing as the cosmos itself with no differentiation, which would mean it would, in fact, become nothing. Something needs limits to be a something. We covered this in detail in episode four. Thus, the traditional notion of infinity as something real is incorrect. This is false infinity, which brings us now to the opposite, which is true infinity. The, this is Hegel's take on the infinite, what it really means and how it brings reality to everything. True infinity is different from false infinity in that this is where the finite thing goes beyond its borders in a different way. It perceives an ought, a better way, through rational thinking and choice, and it makes a move accordingly. This is what separates us from non-living things, as well as separates us from the animals. Our rationality allows us to perceive choices, to make better choices and to act on them. Take a non-living thing, a finite thing, say a chair. A chair exists in space, it has dimensions, it also exists in time, that it was made one day and eventually it will be destroyed or break down somehow or decompose. 
but it remains finite. It has no possibility of changing itself to be a better chair. Animals have differing degrees of memory, as we've discussed in a previous episode, and they can adapt their behavior accordingly. So in that sense, they are freer than the chair, but they cannot envision different future outcomes um, the way humans can. Um, They are driven by their instincts, which of course can be quite complex and subtle uh, and and involving emotions in in the higher animals. But humans, we are different. We have a physical side like the chair, an emotional side like the animal, but we also have something else. We can think and think creatively. We can truly go beyond the given. We can perceive alternative choices. We have creativity. We have freedom to choose a better future. We can envision a better future. This is what separates us from the animals and from chairs and gives a reality and meaning to our life. This is true infinity. Andrew Davis, in an article in the History of Philosophy, April 2012, entitled Hegel's Idealism, the Infinite as Self-Relation, states, I quote, The true infinite indicates that the one, strictly present world cannot be truly grasped as physical because this would amount to viewing beings as finite, as passive recipients of extrinsic determinations, not as infinite, as active subjects, relating to themselves, end quote. We showed earlier how viewing people as purely finite doesn't work. You need a metaphysical understanding to do this. True infinity provides this. True infinity is the real ground of being for Hegel. The true infinite Hegel is talking about is real, concrete, and actual. It is not otherworldly or outside the finite world. The true infinite as expressed through us human beings is the true reality of the world, the true basis of the world. Now, this brings us to the next section, which is a discussion of how finitude and true infinity must be taken together. They must be looked at as one concept taken together. The true infinity Hegel is talking about is is the real, concrete, actual. As we said, it's not otherworldly or outside the finite world. We have covered the unreality of finitude on its own, that it is only negation or or a nullity, as Hegel calls it. We've also shown the reality of true infinity versus false infinity. Now we bring them together for the full picture of reality. Let's begin. We can examine this um, from the standpoint of something we've discussed before, and that's reason and understanding, Vernunft and Verstand in German. And we've discussed this before. Hegel speaks to this in paragraph 45 of the Encyclopedia in reference to Kant. Quote, Kant was the first definitely to signalize the distinction between reason and understanding. The object of the former, as he applied the term, was the infinite and unconditioned. Of the latter, the finite and conditioned. End quote. What is key here is that there's a sublation that occurs between reason and understanding. Um, Reason takes the understanding and uplifts it to a full reality. Here, the non-finite, the infinite, lifts up the finite to to a greater whole. There's a clear correspondence here to the left brain, right brain dichotomy we discussed back in episode 10. The left brain being associated with the understanding or the separation of things into categories, 
and the right brain's association with reason, more of a holistic approach. The right brain is the master, if you will, and sends out its emissary, the left brain, to scout the territory, make distinctions, define things, categorize things into either or this or that. And then it reabsorbs this information to get a full, complete, holistic reality. An important notion here is that the truly infinite is wholly imminent to the so-called physical world, while it also negates it. Hegel clearly states that the true infinity is not something above and beyond the finite. It, uh, it is the truth of finitude itself. In the Science of Logic, page 138, he states, quote, Determinant being, Dasein, in its being in itself, determines itself as finite and transcends the limitation. It is the very nature of the finite to transcend itself, to negate its negation, and to become infinite. Thus, the infinite does not stand as something finished and complete above or superior to the finite, as if the finite had an enduring being apart from or subordinate to the infinite. So Hegel is saying that there's a double negation here. The finite is a negation, um, and then the, uh, the truly infinite negates that negation and makes it real, makes it concrete. So it, it's important to, to recognize finitude has no enduring being apart from true infinity. This is so important. And this, of course, relates to our own subjective consciousness. Continuing with the same passage from Hegel, quote, Neither do we only, as subjective reason, pass beyond the finite into the infinite, as when we say that the infinite is the notion of reason, and that through reason we rise superior to temporal things. But the finite itself, in being raised to the infinite, is in no way acted upon by an alien force. On the contrary, it is its nature to be related to itself as limitation, both limitation as such and an ought, and to transcend the same, or rather to have negated the limitation and gone beyond it. Hegel continues, It is not the sublating of finitude in general that infinity in general comes to be. The truth is rather that the finite is only this, through its own nature, to become itself the infinite. The infinite is its affirmative determination, that which it truly is in itself. Thus the finite is vanished in the infinite, and what is only the infinite. End quote. So, just, just to repeat again, there's no finite world alone out there. And the infinite is not some otherworldly place, but both live together in the reality of being. There is no finite world separated from a metaphysical reality of mind. There is only what is, true infinity. And that's why it's the basis of, uh, of philosophy for Hegel. Hegel famously said that what is real is rational, and what is rational is real. Um, and rationality is what brings reality to the world, to everything. And the basis of this reality, is, is, as um, Andrew Davis from the same article calls it, um, active selves. I quote again from that article, quote, Hegel is actually defending individual self-assertion wherever it occurs against disillusion into an indifferent web of material causes. Active selves can be their own grounds. They are truly infinite, end quote. 
Further, the active selves are self-determining active rational selves. Davis says in the article, I quote, The true infinite is not God, not perfection, not the summum bonum, the greatest good, not the universe as a whole, not a meaningless substance or an infinite magnitude, not some form or species of pure concept or pattern existing outside of things, nor is it empty repetition or the spurious infinity of infinite lines or an infinite regress. Rather, I am infinite. The infinite is the activity through which I become what I am by transcending the limitation and opposition of what is not me. I am infinite as a potentially limited being that overcomes limitation and relates to itself by means of infinite activities, most crucially, thinking. We talked a lot about George Gurdjieff in the last episode. He wrote three books, and the, the last, and the third, his final book was entitled Life is Real Only Then When I Am. I wonder if Gurdjieff had ever read Hegel. So, in conclusion then, let's move to our last area. Let's discuss why the notion of true infinity can be called miraculous. I stated before that the definition of miraculous is going beyond natural law and scientific determinism. It doesn't invalidate these disciplines, but it builds from them. True infinity is not some otherworldly intervention at all. It is what we as self-determining rational creatures interacting with each other turn out to be. So it is only a miracle from the standpoint of finite materialism, from finite naturalism. But it is not a miracle at all from the standpoint of Hegelian philosophy. So what does this mean for us? It means, obviously, that we have a degree of freedom of choice here. Of We have a freedom of creativity. We can envision a better way. We can envision a better path forward. We are not locked into a predetermined future at all, but the future is ours to build. This is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. Thanks for joining us again. Follow me on Twitter and on my Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist. We'll see you next time.